Hello and welcome to another episode on Football Tour Podcast. My name is Ozzy and I'm your host for today's show. Now, another match week full of goals and more controversial refereeing, but one game that certainly grabbed the headlines and that was Arsenal versus Man City. So let's begin the review with that game. So the match ended Arsenal 1, Man City 0. And this victory for the Gunners is a big statement for the club, beating the champions twice already, in fact, after the Community Shield encounter as well. So Arsenal fans have a right to be joyful at this moment in time. I think defensively, Arsenal were fantastic throughout the game. But Rea was looking a bit shaky, to say the least, especially in the first half. That could have easily have led to a calamity or maybe one or two goals for the opposition. The first chance came from City's first corner as Foden whips in a corner from the right-hand side, finds Guardiola, who heads towards target, but cleared off the line by Declan Rice. And then Ake had a chance in the same move, but he hits it over the bar. Raya almost gives a goal for Man City as he tries to make a clearance. Uh, Alvarez blocks the, the, the clearance, but it hits the side netting. That was a sigh of relief for the Gunners, and that could easily have hit the back of the net. Rhea looked like a nervous wreck, and I could tell that the pressure was certainly getting to him. In terms of Arsenal's play, and Ketty had a chance from the left-hand side, but his shot flashes wide. Big talking point in the game, Kovacic's foul on Odegaard. How on earth was that just a yellow? Look, I don't want to make it seem about Liverpool, but as a Liverpool fan, I have to say out loud, Curtis Jones made a very similar challenge last week, straight red. McAllister also makes a similar challenge early in the season, straight red. Van Dijk, straight red. I you get my gist here. Now, I'm not making it about Liverpool, but that challenge itself was a clear red card, hands down. City, for me, got lucky there. And it was another poor decision from the referees. Now, I'm not just saying it as a Liverpool fan, but they're killing the game with these inconsistent decisions. But moments later, uh, and this is a big point as well, Kovacic, same man, flying into Declan Rice's ankle and takes him out clean. Now, that was a blatant foul and at least a yellow. In some matches, it might have been a straight red, but it was waved away for a free kick. Now, the, for me, the officiating is a complete joke and... I can't even get too heated about it now. I'm a local fan, as I've just mentioned two, three times now. So these things are something we just brush under the carpet now because we're so numb to it. All we ask for as football fans is a bit more consistency because right now, for me, these referees are incompetent at what they do. But back to the game, Arsenal break the deadlock as Havertz lays the ball off to Martinelli and his shot deflects onto Ake into the back of the net. And as you can imagine, the crowd goes insane and rightly so. Overall, I think it was a well-deserved victory for City. Now, I've been saying it for a while, guys. City will struggle without Rodri. And that's clearly been the case. They've had two losses on the bounce. And they don't look at the same outfit as they normally do. Some people call them Rodri FC, you know, which may be a fair point. In regards to Arsenal, onwards and upwards as they climb up to second position, joint top. Um, with Spurs, just got a comment here from Madison Smith. Thank you for your comment. 1-0 no to the Arsenal. 1-0 no indeed to the Arsenal. I'm sure you had a, a fantastic time watching your team uh, victorious against Man City there. Next game, Brighton versus Liverpool now. This game concluded 2-2. Two, two. 
Liverpool had to settle for a point, unfortunately, despite having the lead in the second half. But if I've been brutally honest, I think a point was the fair result. It didn't start off great for Liverpool. As McAllister gives Brighton, his old team, uh, a back pass that is given to Andigra, who hits a smart finish, uh, placed it with the side of his foot from long range, and he gives the Seagulls the lead there. But then Liverpool find the equaliser around the 40th minute as Nunes lays it off to Mo Salah, who clinically finishes it in the bottom corner. Then Liverpool awarded with a penalty as Sobozlai was fouled in the box by Grouse. Now, by the letter of the law, Grouse has clearly denied Sobozlai from a goal-scoring opportunity, which means it should have been red. But why would um, Liverpool get these kind of decisions um, for themselves? You know, it doesn't fit the agenda, does it, when it comes to these referees? But anyway, back to the game. Salah steps up and takes the lead after smashing the ball into the palm corner. So this was at half-time, 2-1 at half-time. You're thinking for Liverpool, keep it going and hopefully just hold on to the win. And Brighton did have a couple of moments in the second half, to be fair, especially with Adingra, who was a live wire throughout the game and had one chance in particular and it was a great save by Alisson in the end. Liverpool themselves had a glorious chance to extend the lead as Sabozlai whips in a cross from the right-hand side to Gravenberg, who came on as a sub. He smashes the ball onto the crossbar. As much as I love the player, he should have buried it. And unfortunately, it ended up being costly as Brighton got the equaliser later on in the second half as Dunk scored from a free kick. With that incident there, poor defending from Robertson, who pretty much lets the ball go through him, hoping it will be cleared by another Liverpool player. But that wasn't the case, sadly. So, obviously, disappointed to concede the goal in the second half and dropping two points as well. But look, Brighton are a good team, so there's no shame in taking the point. Some of the reactions I've seen from Liverpool fans have been a bit OTT, in my opinion, already blaming Klopp for tactics and saying, why is Trent still a right-back centre midfielder? Look, we've been winning so far this season, so no point of throwing out the dummy out the pram right now. We're doing really well. It's just unfortunate, you know, last week, was a crazy event in terms of what happened. And then in this game, always going to be a tough encounter, to say the least. The big talking point or pre-game was Mitoma versus Trent. And everyone was expecting Trent to get cooked. It wasn't the case. Trent, for me, handled him with ease. And Mitoma wasn't really involved in the game that much. So, you know, you don't really hear the neutral fans or the media talking about that, you know, one-on-one duel there so much. It's only when Trent Alexander-Arnold gets cooked, that's when it's a talking point. But we move on. Uh, next game is the Merseyside derby uh, after the international break. So I'm looking forward to that one as it will be an exciting game nonetheless. Just got a comment, couple comments here from Double D. Ball bounce up on him. That's true as well. It, it did, but I feel like maybe as he was trying to finish, he took a leap himself. I think if he just kept his composure a bit more, he could have guided the ball a bit more. I feel like he tried to smash it into the goal. So it was just the wrong execution for me. But it wasn't an easy chance. But I just feel like a player of his quality, I think I would have expected him to have buried that. And then the second comment is, draw is a fair result. Adingra and Pedro could have scored in the second half. Really for Endo, she started. However, it's a good point you make. Um, yeah, Adingra was a live wire. He, we couldn't handle him for large parts of the game. 
that Pedro chance that you're mentioning, yes, that was a big chance. Um, I think Adingra was the provider for that cross. And I feel like Pedro's body language in terms of his positioning wasn't the best. His back was leaning, so that ball was always going to go over the bar in terms of the execution. Uh, Endo, yeah, it's, it's a fair point. I think Endo's getting a mixed opinion from a lot of fans. Some just don't see me as good enough to be starting, but I feel like these are the games where we've got to play him and see how he does in the Premier League. I would prefer to have seen him play as a six and allow Mikasa to be an eight. However, in my match preview, I actually wanted Gravenberg to start this game as I feel like he had a fantastic performance in the Europa League uh, midweek. So, you know, the options are there. I feel like Mikasa playing the DM wasn't the right role in that regards. Having look looking back at it, but look, we'll see how it goes. Um, it's worked for us so far, so it might just be a thing where we might need to rejig the team a little bit, uh, and we'll see. You know, international break coming up, so hopefully the players come back fit and sound, and yeah, we can go on and take it from there as well. A couple comments here from Madison Smith: Great win, but not trying to get carried away. MC will still be in the mix all season. That's correct. But from the looks of it, Manchester City might have to spend in January. I don't know if the current placements are going to be enough. This is something that I said in my Premier League preview earlier on in the season where you know I picked Liverpool to win the title. So yeah, you can quote me on that. But I, I did it on the basis that I analysed City squad and I don't think they're as strong as people seem to think it is. Uh, I feel like one of my areas of concern for City when I analysed this squad was the midfield, where if, you know, and I didn't try and predict, but if a Rodri wasn't available, who will come in for, for him? Because you've got the likes of Kovacic, who's not really a DM, but he's a solid midfielder, but also injury-prone. And then you've got Calvin Phillips, who is the traditional number six, but is very injury-prone as well. So you've got two injury-prone players as the backup. And then you've also got Mateus Nunes, who has been brought in. I don't think he's brought in to be a number six. He's brought in to kind of cover Kevin De Bruyne, who's out for uh, four months now. So, yeah, I feel like they could look into the giant window. It would just be a big question to who would they get because I think they've signed Doku, who looks like a young prospect and looks really exciting, to be fair. Uh, whenever I've seen him play, especially on the left-hand side, looks like a real handful, full of pace, really, you know, great dribbling ability, really electric on the ball, can play on the right wing, so that's a good option there. But it's an interesting one, I think. Midfield might be an area they're looking to, you know, they might be regretting not signing Declan Rice in the end, but, you know, that's Arsenal's game there. Uh, up top as well, Cole Palmer being sold was a surprise, but I feel like he would have really flourished playing in this team, especially coming from the right-hand side. But who knows? Um, defensively, I feel like they have enough numbers. Maybe a midfield addition will be something they look at and maybe one of the wide areas. But, you know, I think Grealish was available for this game. Uh, and then you've got Foden, who, if I'm honest, I would have expected a bit more from him. Um, I think many expected him to take the mantle of Kevin De Bruyne, who's currently unavailable, and spearhead this City team going forward. It, I, I can probably say Pep hasn't helped in terms of playing him in different roles. Sometimes he's playing on the left or the right or in the middle. 
give him that one role, give him that central role where Kevin De Bruyne plays and see how he does. Chopping and changing him isn't helping, but because they've got a player in Alvarez who's played as a number 10 and actually looks really good, um, surprisingly, now it's just finding players around him to, to suit the team. And I think Foden's best position, I prefer him playing on the right-hand side, cutting in, as I feel like he can be a real handful and obviously has a lot of tricks uh, in his locker, so he can definitely unlock fullbacks and he scores some goals from that position as well. Left side, I think he's a bit too predictable. So, so now January will be a time for Manchester to look into. Will they do it? I'm not so sure. It will depend on injuries going forward because Kevin De Bruyne is out until Feb, March. So they've already got Mateus Nunes, who's who's brought in as that replacement, I think, or that backup player. Um, Rodri's only suspended, I think he's got one more suspension, or maybe this was the last uh, match that he suspended. So he'll be back in the team soon. So unless something happens to him, then they'll look into the market. But who knows? It's quite early to say, but yeah, remains to be seen in terms of what they do going forward. Uh, Next game, Manchester United versus... Uh, Brentford so United bounced back with a win after losing to Palace last week but it wasn't an easy route to victory as Brentford took the lead uh, through Jensen who hits a low shot on goal Onana gets a hand on the ball but couldn't keep it out another error from the United's goalkeeper there he just can't seem to catch a breath can he Uh, poor goalkeeping I'm not just saying it because uh, I'm biased there that wasn't a powerful shot. It was a tame effort. That was the type of shot where you expect goalkeepers to actually stop it one hand or at least parry it away for a corner or onto onto you know the side. But he didn't do either of those options and cost United a goal there. United actually get the equaliser uh, through an unlikely source, uh, aka Mock Source, <laughs> as McTominay um, scores with a low shot into the near post around the 93rd minute. But then he grabs the win at the 97th minute with a header. The crowd go wild and McTominay saves the day. Um, it wasn't the most convincing win for United. But at this, at this stage, the three points will be a huge lift for the team and especially for the manager, Ten Hag. Brentford, on the other hand, will be kicking themselves for conceding easy goals so late in the game. So back to the drawing board for them. Next fixture, Luton versus Tottenham. 10 men Spurs just about nicked the win to go top of the league. Richarlison had a few chances in the first half to take the lead for Spurs. Uh, the first shot was an easy one. It was a great cross from the right-hand side. Somehow he missed the ball completely. Second shot was a good run from the left-hand side. He tried to cipher it into the corner, saved by the keeper. Third shot as well. Um, I think from the right, this from the left-hand side again, um, saved by the keeper. So... Yeah, these are the moments where, you know, if you're trying to play for a club like Tottenham where you want to go forward and make things happen, you've got to be a bit more clinical in front of goals. Uh, Otherwise, your spot will be taken by someone else in the team. But I think at the moment, they don't have a lot of options, so that's why he's getting some game time. Pura was very close to scoring uh, for Tottenham after a great one to Rison, who feathers a great ball uh, to the... Portuguese defender there, but his shot goes wide. Bissouma gets a second yellow card after he died to get a free kick. 
And to be honest, it was the correct decision. And there was no contact made from any of the Luton player players. Sorry, so the right call from the referee there. You know, surprising they get it right sometimes. Um, Adebayo uh, has a glorious chance for Luton to take the lead, but he somehow scuffs the shot underneath himself, which is a weird one. Um, I think he just he his body goes his or his momentum goes a bit ahead of his body, and then. The ball was just behind him and the chance was gone. But it was Spurs who get the winning goal after some great play by Madison from the corner. He squares it to Van der Ven, who sides for it into the goal. What a signing he's been for Spurs. And he gets the match winner for them. Next game, Burnley versus Chelsea. Now, Billy FC, they're able to notch up their second win of the season and they end up being a bit of a goal fest. But it was Burnley, in fact, who took the lead in the game. Great finish by Oliver with his left foot. Chelsea get the equaliser as Raheem Sterling's cross is deflected over the keeper's head. Um, Sterling is then fouled in the box from behind. So penalty awarded for uh, for Chelsea. Cole Palmer steps up and scores his first goal for Chelsea. Sterling himself gets on the score sheet as he smashes the ball with his left foot into the corner. It was a thoroughly deserved I feel like he had a great game for Chelsea and then Nicholas Jackson aka Action Jackson <laughs> gets on the score sheet to make it 4-1 for Chelsea now in terms of other games Everton beat Bournemouth 3-0 and one important win it was especially at Goodison Park goes from Garnier uh, Harrison and Ducouré um, Hassan's goal by the way was outrageous um shooting from outside the box. But yeah, well done to him there. Everton maybe could have actually extended the lead with a couple more goals. As I feel like they created a lot of chances throughout the game. Bournemouth, on the other hand, were very poor in this game. And maybe the international break has come at the right time for them, as they'll certainly need a breather right now. Fulham, they beat Sheffield United 3-1. They get the home win. Goals from Cordova Reed. Uh, Kearney, who, whose goal was a fluky one, by the way, as it looped over the keeper. And then William got the uh, William got the last goal. Sheffield United still remain winless this season. And unfortunately, it won't get any easier as the season goes on. Crystal Palace, nil, not in the forest, nil. So goalless uh, result at Sohas Park. Best moment of the game was actually not in the forest's centre-back, a Brazilian centre-back, in fact, Murillo going on a mazy run from the halfway line, twisting and turning players. And then he ends up hitting a lethal shot of his right foot, uh, but was saved by the keeper. And what a goal that would have been. Uh, Palace, for me, I've said this in my Premier League preview early in the season, they are going to struggle with goals. Um, they don't really have a proper goal score in their team. Slightly worrying for Eagle fans, but still early on in the season. Maybe some, it's an area they can look into in the January window. Or who know who knows? Uh, maybe Edward or Mateta find their shooting boots very soon. Remains to be seen. West Ham drew two-two against Newcastle. A great game between two strong teams. Uh, Susek scores the first goal for West Ham, and it was also uh, Mohamed Kudus's first goal for West Ham. A great strike from the outside of the box. Newcastle get their goals through Isaac, who scored twice. But Newcastle might consider themselves lucky in this game as Guimaraes should have been sent off with a second yellow, but it wasn't given. And the final fixture, 
Wolves and Villa, uh, which ended 1-1. They shared a point as fixture. Great run by Neto to set up Wang Hee Chan from the right wing. Uh, Villa get an equaliser as Pau Torres gets his first goal for the club. So that's the match week eight review there. So before we conclude the show, I will announce the FPL manager. So the FPL manager of the week goes to Mr. Simon, whose team is called Legacy FC, and he managed to notch up 78 points. Um, so well done to Mr. Simon there. You're currently 112 sorry, in the league. So if you get a few more of these big wins um, on a weekly basis, you'll definitely be climbing up the table. In terms of my performance, yeah. Um, <laughs> I haven't updated my team in about three, four weeks. So, yeah, not very helpful. Still managed to notch up 51 points. So I've moved up to 60th. Uh, so what I'll do, I'll present the top half of the table right now. So we can have a look right now. So we've got Nana Sare, who's moved up. He's number one right now. Uh, he notched up 70 points. So well into Nana there. Uh, Kinder Bremo, who's... Uh, team is Jack who's his team is Jack Harrison uh he's second right now a flying hobo of a uh, hobos FC uh, is third you've got Bamukun with rum punch fourth and you've got Augustine Obi's team which is Zeus FC in fifth spot so he's probably a newcomer I've not recognized that name in the top five so got a new player there so yeah that's uh how the top five um of our FPL table is looking like right now. And then uh, we've just got another comment before we conclude. Uh, Madison Smith has says, I won't even be surprised if Pep throws Covadio in that Rodri role if he finds himself in a tough spot. He's a heck of a player. Yeah, he's a top player. I think John Stones would have been the one to have taken that role because it was a position he played quite well last season. I know it's more of an inverted role alongside... Uh, Rodri, but I feel like he could certainly do that as, as a primary role or as a lone number six. I feel like he has more than um, capabilities to do so. So, yeah, they've probably just been unfortunate where the players that who would have taken Rodri's place are not available. Doesn't help. You've got two injury problems for us as well. But, yeah, it's a, it's a stressful one for Pep Guardiola right now. But, hey. <laughs> I couldn't care less how he's feeling right now to, to be honest with you but that's a wrap up for today so thank you to everyone for tuning in thank you to Madison Smith and Double D for your comments I appreciate it as always guys um, if you haven't already please don't forget to like comment, share and subscribe I plan to do some content this week possibly on Thursday um, but I will confirm um, in due time so hit the notification bell on YouTube or you can follow me on social uh, for all the latest updates. So you can follow me at AussieFTP on Twitter or you can follow me at Aussie.FTP on Instagram, threads and TikTok. So until next time, guys, take care, stay safe and I hope to see you all very soon. Goodbye. <laughs>